Well, friends, good morning to you. Uh, we're dealing with a little bit of wind issues and other things up here. It's good to see everybody this morning. We are in the midst of a strange season of life, no doubt. I know that COVID-19 has been hard for everybody. It has been difficult even for our church. I mean, we are not unique in that. Every church has faced challenges during this season. We have been working hard as elders and as a staff to keep things as normal as possible. And real talk at the same time, we understand that nothing is normal. Everything is different right now, even gathering outdoors like we are and having to make the adjustments that we have made over recent months. We want to thank you just for your grace and your patience and your understanding with us and acknowledge not only that things have been difficult, but also that there can be this kind of cumulative effect that takes a toll on all of us where we feel really after months and months and months of rhythms being disrupted and nothing being like we are used to it being. We haven't been able to gather and interact in ways that we have become accustomed to as a church. And at the same time, there's much to be encouraged by. We have had God's favor, honestly, with respect to weather when it comes to these gatherings. That's not lost on us. We have not had to cancel one service. In spite of all the challenges, God continues to grow the church. People continue to show up on Sundays, and we should be grateful and thankful for all of those things. It's easy to be more mindful of the things that God is not doing than it is to be mindful of what He is doing. And so we give Him praise and thanks for those things. And at the same time, as more people continue to show up on Sundays, bottom line is the pastors want to communicate to you guys that we, we need more help. We need people to serve in various ways in the church. And we understand that there are barriers to serving right now. Uh, those are conversations that we would be happy to have with any of you. If you are considering ways that you could serve the body and love your brothers and sisters and service here at CBC, come talk to me, come talk to Ron, talk to Mackenzie, talk to Joshua Vallejos. We would love to have those conversations with you. We understand that serving is often mundane. It's not thrilling, at least in how it feels. It's not stimulating or exciting necessarily. But we all benefit as a body of Christ from one another as we serve in even very mundane, very ordinary ways. It's good for us to remember that our gifts and our time even is not for us in and of ourselves primarily. Our gifts and our time, our talents, our stuff, we are to use for the glory of God and for the good of our brothers and sisters, and for the good of our neighbor. And that begins here at the local church. So, if you are comfortable, consider how you may serve here in this body. And if you have any questions, again, come talk to one of us, one of the pastors, one of the staff. We would love to have that conversation with you. And join us, the elders, we continue to pray for our church right now, that we would pull together and love one another in the midst of times that are unusual and strange and difficult. So now as we turn our attention to God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for help as we look to His Word specifically and ask Him to continue to do His work in and through us as a church. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to You in need of Your help, in need of Your grace. We pray that You would continue to do the work that only You can do in us as individuals. We pray that You would continue to do in this church, what only you are capable of. We pray that you would continue to grow us 
and conform us into the image of Christ. We pray that you would stir us up by your Holy Spirit to love one another, and that you would stir us up by your Spirit to do good works and work of service to one another. We pray for your help, especially as we look to your Word now. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that as we consider wisdom this morning, and as we consider Christ this morning, that you would do a work in us, that you would sustain our faith, that you would confirm it and strengthen it, and that you would continue to do your sanctifying work. You have promised to meet us in our weakness and in our need, and our confidence is in you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we will look to Proverbs 8 this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and be turning there in your Bible app, make your way to Proverbs 8. Just a few comments by way of introduction. Because of what we would call God's common grace, there are many good things in the world. Common grace meaning that God has made the world and He's made it good. It has fallen absolutely. But there is still good in the world because God made it that way. Because of God's common grace and because human beings are made in His image, there is even a kind of wisdom that exists in the world. To act as though there is nothing good or to act as though there is no wisdom in the world would be wrong. God has not removed all of that, even with the fall. Study and learning are good. History is valuable. Science is valuable. Life experience is valuable. It teaches us many things, albeit many times in a harsh manner. We learn much just through years of living. There are virtues that can be taught and instilled in various arenas of life. I'm mindful of my own experience in athletics growing up and the ways that I was taught good things by coaches, being a part of a team. I trust that you can probably think of other experiences that you have had where you have learned good things, where virtue has been instilled and inculcated in you. And with all of that said, if we are going to talk about wisdom in ultimate terms, in terms that are real and lasting and eternal, there is no wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. If we're going to talk about wisdom in ultimate terms, in ways that are lasting and eternal, there is no wisdom apart from Jesus Christ. And so now let's look to Proverbs 8, beginning in verse 1. I'll begin by reading God's word for us. This is the word of God. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. 
I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, for the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, walking beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor with the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Amen. We thank God for his word. Friends, this, this text breaks down pretty clearly into two large sections, verses 1 to 21 and then verses 22 to 36. So we're going to consider them, those large sections, one at a time. In verses 1 through 21, we will read of and see the call of wisdom. We'll see the nature of wisdom and the benefits of wisdom. So the call, the nature, and the benefits of wisdom in verses 1 to 21. Let's survey the text together. In verses 1 to 5, wisdom calls out to the simple and to the foolish. She makes an appeal. Wisdom here is personified. And she is called to the children of man to listen to her and to heed what she has to say. In verses 6 to 9, she begins to explain why. It's because she, wisdom, is objectively good. She speaks things that are noble. She speaks and only says what is right. She only utters what is true and never anything wicked. She only speaks righteousness and never anything that is crooked. In verses 10 to 11, wisdom continues by demonstrating that she is valuable. Listen to wisdom because wisdom is valuable. More valuable than silver. More valuable than gold or even jewels. And in verse 11, we see that anything that we desire cannot compare with wisdom. In verse 12, we see that prudence, knowledge, and discretion are inextricably linked with wisdom. 
These are all things that are valuable in our lives. And then in the beginning of verse 13, we see this phrase again, the fear of the Lord. That keeps coming up over and over again in Proverbs 1 to 9. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Wisdom begins, as we've considered multiple times, with the fear of the Lord. Here, Solomon says that fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Absolutely true. As we thought about, fear of the Lord would include reverence for God. It would include an understanding of who He is. An understanding of what He requires. It would include, fear of the Lord would, an agreement with Him about what is good, and certainly an agreement with Him about what is evil. Very much like what Paul says in Romans 12. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. It's a very simple prayer of every Christian. Father, help me to cling fast and hold fast to what's good and to hate what's evil. Help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. The fear of the Lord and wisdom, as we've said many times, I'll say again in the interest of clarity, the fear of the Lord and wisdom cannot exist apart from repentance. It cannot exist apart from this change of mind that is wrought by God. In the second part of verse 13, we see that wisdom hates pride and arrogance and also the way of evil and perverted speech. Wisdom, in other words, friends, is characterized by humility. As we considered before from Proverbs, that God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. As the prophet Micah exhorts us to, we are to walk humbly before our God. Wisdom makes no room for pride. It makes no room for arrogance or self-righteousness. But then also wisdom is characterized by upright speech. And biblically, we could define that as speech that is true and speech that is meant to build up, not tear down. It's a reasonable biblical definition of upright speech. It's true, and it's meant to build up and not tear down. Truth governs what we say. Love for one another governs what we say. And a concern to edify, not destroy, governs what we say. In verse 14, we see that wisdom possesses sound counsel and insight and strength. And then Solomon goes on, verses 15 and 16, to demonstrate that those who rule and wield authority well do so by and through wisdom. So this is why, amongst other things, we should pray for those who are in authority over us in various ways. We're exhorted in Scripture many times to pray for our leaders in our land, government officials. We should do that. And a simple prayer for them would be, God, give them wisdom so that they might wield authority well. As pastors here at CBC, one of the things that we pray for ourselves all the time, in a general way and before every meeting we ever have, is that God would give us wisdom, that we would be guided by His Spirit, and that we would act wisely for the sake of the saints of this church and for the good of the cause of Christ in this area. That's something that you can pray for your pastors as well. Give them wisdom 
in everything that they do and consider. Verse 17. This is a good encouragement to us. That if we love wisdom, that love is not wasted. Wisdom loves us in return. But then also, if we pursue wisdom and we seek it, that seeking and that searching, that praying for wisdom will not be in vain. Now, there is a kind of wisdom that we can pursue that is not ultimately helpful and useful. Think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 or even Solomon in Ecclesiastes. There's a kind of wisdom that's vanity. But wisdom that is grounded in the fear of the Lord. Wisdom that is part and parcel of repentance and a repentant posture is always good and is always valuable. And our pursuit of it will not be in vain. And verses 18 to 21, quite simply, we see that wisdom, again, brings blessing. How often through Proverbs have we seen this language? That pursue wisdom because it's so good for you. Foolishness will destroy your life. Sin will destroy your life. Wisdom, on the other hand, will bless you. It will go better. In verse 18, we see that wisdom has with it, brings with it, enduring wealth and righteousness. Verse 19, we see that wisdom's fruit is better than fine gold and better than choice silver. And then in verses 20 and 21, we see that wisdom walks in the way of righteousness and justice and grants an inheritance to those who love it. It's important that we would understand that God did bless and prosper Israel in a temporal way, like in a this-life kind of way, for obedience to the law. That's true. And it is also very clear that the blessings described, at least I think so, you have the text in front of you, the blessings described in these verses are not simply or even primarily temporal. They are not simply of this life. When we talk about righteousness and justice and inheritance, there is an eternal state to language like that throughout the Scripture. So up to this point in Proverbs 8, there's been a personification of wisdom, and there will continue to be a personification of wisdom until the end of the chapter. But there's a slight pivot in the way that it's written and in the way that it even reads, beginning in verse 22. So this second large section, it's good that we would consider this. There's some debate about this in our day in terms of our biblical scholars come down on this, but Christians through history have understood that this personification of wisdom from verses 22 through the end of Proverbs 8, they've understood it to be a clear reference to God the Son, to the divine Word of God. In verses 22 and 23, we see that wisdom was begotten of God before the beginning, from times everlasting. The words used here are very similar to words used by the prophet Michael when he writes, But you are Bethlehem, and you shall come forth from me, one who shall be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old. Whose coming forth is from ancient days. The language is very similar. As we look through verses, especially 24 to 31, just look at some of the things there. Beginning even in verse 27, you can pick up there. When God established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, he made the skies. He established the seas with their limits and all of that. 
When he marked the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world, and delighting in the fact that God had made man. This sounds very similar, the language and the themes, to John chapter 1, as the apostle begins there with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Wisdom goes on in verses 32 and following, to make yet another appeal. Verse 32, Solomon writing as wisdom to proverbial sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Verse 33, hear instruction and be wise. Don't neglect instruction. Verse 34, if you listen, you will be blessed. And then verses 35 and 36, we see that this is not just a matter of good, bad, things going better or worse. This is quite literally a matter of life and death. There is an eternal scope to this. Language like this, again, makes clear that wisdom in Proverbs is not simply about living life well now. It is about a lot more than practical how-to wisdom. And then we can always consider that Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes, where he talks about a kind of wisdom that is for this life only, and he says what about that? He says it's worthless. He says it's vanity. So it's quite clear that the kind of wisdom that we are being exhorted to in Proverbs and the kind of wisdom that Solomon has in mind by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has an eternal scope to it. There is something greater than wisdom for this life only. And this is why, as we come to Proverbs and wrestle with it and aim to understand it, we cannot understand Proverbs or the wisdom that it conveys apart from Jesus. It cannot be done. It should not be preached in any other way, in my opinion, as I understand Scripture. For me to get up here and exhort us to practical wisdom and good things would be fine, but it would be a failure when it comes to preaching a Christian sermon. And so, in the time that we have left, if it is in fact true that we cannot understand Proverbs or the wisdom it conveys apart from Jesus, let's consider Him. As three brief points of consideration and they're going to center around wisdom and Jesus. And then I hope to offer a brief conclusion. Number one, Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is wisdom personified. This one will be quite, quite brief. So Jesus is God the Son who took on human flesh 2,000 years ago, lived life on earth, for 33 years, was crucified, dead and buried. He arose again on the third day, 
He appeared to many disciples. He was with them for many days and then ascended to heaven to return again. In the incarnation of the Son of God, when Jesus of Nazareth was born and began to live his life, everything that he did in his life, everything that he said, is wisdom. His life represents wisdom. His life represents righteousness. So in one sense, if you want to see wisdom, look to Christ. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, read of him. If you want to know what wisdom looks like, show up here on Sunday as we behold Christ together, and we will grow in wisdom through beholding him. Number two, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus, in a pointed way, is the wisdom of God. And more precisely, I might even say it this way, that Jesus is the wisdom of God in what he accomplished. You understand, as I do, that God, in his plan of salvation and redemption, is completely and perfectly and eternally wise. He's not just good. He's not just gracious. He's not just merciful. He's not just just. He is wise. Immortal, invisible, God-only wise, we sing. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, was accomplishing the covenant that he and the Father had made before the world began. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, was accomplishing God's purpose that was initially revealed to us in Genesis 3.15. I will send one who will come from the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the ancient snake who is the devil. Jesus would, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus would satisfy the justice of God in the place of his people. He would fulfill all righteousness. He would fulfill the law in the place of his people. And in light of our theme today in Proverbs 8 and thinking about wisdom, Jesus would be treated as the foolish and wicked one in the place of his people. He was wisdom, but was treated as a foolish and wicked one for our sake. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise be to his name. In Exodus verse, chapter excuse me, 34, verses 6 and 7, many may be familiar with that passage where the Lord speaks to Moses and in one sense describes who he is and what he's like to Moses. What does he say? He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, showing steadfast love to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. And we, at that point, say, okay, how does that square? How can both of those things be true? How can you be merciful and gracious and slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to sinners, how can you be showing steadfast love to thousands of generations and forgive iniquity and forgive transgression and forgive sin, and yet at the same time not clear the guilty? How can that be possible? Those verses are sometimes referred to as the great riddle of the Old Testament. How can God do all of this? Because if He forgives sin, that by definition means He is forgiving something that was done that was really wrong. By definition, if He is forgiving iniquity and transgression, He is pardoning the guilty. The answer, the definite article answer to that riddle, as it is so called, has always been in the mind of God and forever will always be Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God unto salvation. He satisfies the justice of God. He fulfills all righteousness in the place of sinners through Christ and Christ alone. The love and grace and mercy of God embrace the justice, the holiness, and the righteousness of God in the redemption of sinners such as us. It's a remarkable plan. Number three, Jesus is not only wisdom personified, Jesus is not only the wisdom of God, Jesus, to use the language of 1 Corinthians, is wisdom from God for us. Jesus is wisdom from God for us. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul writes, And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. According to the Apostle, Christ is wisdom from God for us. Christ is righteousness for us. Christ is sanctification for us. And Christ is redemption for us. In other words, brothers and sisters, Christ is all. We sang it, Jesus now and ever is our plea. He's the only thing that wretched sinners could ever plead before a holy God. In this life that is filled with trial and suffering, in this life that is frail and fleeting, he is our only true and lasting hope. To trust Christ is wisdom from God. Consider that. To trust Christ is wisdom from God. If you sit here this morning trusting Christ, you possess the greatest kind of wisdom, and you did not give it to yourself. God gave that to you. That's something to sing about. That's something to praise Him and thank Him for. Ultimately, there is, as I said in the introduction, in speaking in ultimate terms, there is no wisdom apart from Christ. There certainly is no righteousness apart from Him. Not for a sinner. There is no sanctification apart from Christ. You realize that, that our transformation of life will only occur through our vital union to Christ by faith. It cannot be white-knuckled. It cannot be your willpower. 
Sanctification is supernatural. It's the work of Christ's Spirit in and through us that changes us as we trust Him. There is no redemption apart from Jesus. It is only through our union with Christ by faith that any of these things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, would ever be our reality. The Apostle Paul was absolutely right in Colossians 2 and verse 3 when he wrote that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So friends, my, my hope for us as a church, as we come to any passage in Proverbs that talks about wisdom, and certainly a, a passage like Proverbs 8, I pray that we would never attempt to look at it apart from Jesus Christ. That we would never read it without the lenses of Christ on for us. I want to, at this point, offer, as we land the plane, just some closing thoughts. Everything that's good, everything that's beautiful, everything that is wise, finds its end and fulfillment in Jesus. Something to ponder. Everything that's good, everything that's beautiful, everything that's wise, finds its end and fulfillment in Jesus. I want to try to illustrate this with a kind of real-life sort of boots-on-the-ground thing, at least it is for me. The many, many might know that Chadwick Boseman, the actor who played T'Challa in Black Panther, died on Friday. That many will know that. He was 43 years old. He died of colon cancer. So we pray, of course, for Christ's mercy on his loved ones and on his family. And on one level, his, his death, I mean, God played an epic role, you know, in a, in a very good movie, and many of us are familiar with it. On one level, wisdom, when it comes to processing this, is to realize that life really is a vapor. And one member of the church and I were texting about this yesterday, and he observed that no matter how much wealth we may have, no matter how noble of a life we might have, we all end up crashing against the rocks of this kind of reality. He noted how this either leads to anxiety or it drives us to Christ for hope and reprieve. And he's right about that. But even as I, I think about Chadwick Boseman, if I think about Black Panther and the role that he played in that movie, I'm grateful. In a common grace way, I am grateful for that performance. It's one of those, for me, pieces of art that will stick with me. I've seen it several times, and every time I've watched it, I find that my heart is stirred and there's a sense of longing that's created in me as I observe King T'Challa and Wakanda under him. I find myself thinking, like, I, I want T'Challa, I want that guy to be my king. And that's because of this. It's because he's good. He's a good king. He is just. He's upright. He loves his people. He sacrifices himself for them. He is 
T'Challa and his character is as good of a pop culture depiction of a righteous king as I have ever seen. He well represents King David's final words from 2 Samuel 23, where David says, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. We all long for such a ruler. We all long for a righteous king who will execute justice, who will protect us from all our enemies, and who will give us peace forever. And so this is where we kind of get to that everything that's wise, everything that's good, finds its end and fulfillment in Jesus' peace. You see, even that, that good thing of a film, that good thing of a, a man playing a role that is gripping, that good thing of a righteous king on screen, it shows us, if we have eyes to see it, it shows us that God, and it stirs our hearts in thinking that God has given us such a king. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and be a wise man, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. The prophet Jeremiah writes of King Jesus. King Jesus, he laid his life down for us. King Jesus, who represents us, who stands in our place, and who gives us his own righteousness. King Jesus, who is our protector, who is our refuge and our shelter, who has us in his hands and tells us we'll never be taken away from him. King Jesus, who is our deliverer, who has conquered all of our enemies, who has crushed the head of the ancient serpent, who is the devil, who has defeated, and there goes my notes. I'm going to grab them really quickly. He has defeated death, and he has defeated hell. Christ is victorious. He has triumphed. And when he comes again for us, we will be raised forever and perishable with him. We will reign with him. We will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father, and we will praise Christ forever. So, friends, it is appropriate that we would understand that not only does everything that's good Everything that's beautiful, everything that's wise, find its fulfillment in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Christ. In Jesus, all hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is because Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God for us. So the appropriate thing for us to do in response is to trust Him and to pray that we all would do that. Let's pray together now. Our Father, we come to you and we ask that you would work in us by your Spirit, that you would sustain our faith in Christ, that you would even strengthen it through the preaching of your word and the singing of song, through the coming to the Lord's table that we plan to do in just a moment. Father, we are dependent upon you to work in us, and we know that you will. We pray that as we come to the table and put the bread and the juice in our mouths, that you would remind us of what Christ has done for us. But as surely as we eat and drink this morning, 
Christ's body and blood was broken and shed in our place. We pray that you would assure us of our standing before you in Christ, and we pray that you would stir us up to love one another, and that you would stir us up to good works. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.